Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and our day at Indy, our final for a couple of days, this being May 20th, Monday. We had a two-hour practice session. Good Lord, that was mind-bending to see 33 cars more or less running in a conga line the entire time. It was really fascinating stuff to watch. So what we have here talks about that a tiny bit for the most part. This is a lot of reaction to what took place yesterday at Indy. A lot of conversation about Fernando Alonso. We actually start off with my racer colleague, Chris Medland, who covers Formula One full-time, very deeply, deeply connected with the folks at McLaren. So I'm going to start off here with Chris talking about a lot of things from his perspective, knowing that, again, he is a guy that isn't just covering McLaren here at Indy, but knows these people very well. Then move to Young Santino Ferrucci from the Dale Coin Racing Team has been quietly impressive to me, at least, as an oval rookie, young American who has spent his young life doing nothing but road racing. So he's learning here about how to go around and around, qualified 23rd. So solid showing by him. So interesting stuff there. think you might, if you are a person who is on the fence about Santino or definitely someone who is uh, in the non-Santino support club based on some of his actions and comments last year. I think you might find it interesting to hear a comment from him sharing about personal growth and where he is at, where he feels he is at today. Then we close with a conversation with a fellow reporter, Jim Aiello, the IndyCar, IndyStar, IndyCar, IndyCar star from the star of Indy. I'm not sure. We're still trying to figure out the exact title, but young Jim Aiello. Uh, coming up in the sport as a reporter. I really enjoy him and his unique eye and angle as someone who hasn't been doing this very long, definitely brings some very unique views and perspectives that some of us older farts might not see. So wanted to get with Jim to talk about a number of things coming out of the weekend, things that surprised him, uh, things that caught my attention, did a lot deeper dive the McLaren topic with Jim, knowing that Chris Medland was somewhat limited on time. So I'm going to roll into Jim to close. So we go from Chris to Santino to Jim and I. And yeah, honestly, <laughs> it's just talking. There's so much just conversation to be had. Some harder opinions have been formed, I think, in the wake of McLaren's failings. Did spend some time with Zach Brown, McLaren's CEO, on the phone early evening, about 15 minutes or so hoping to get that whipped into some sort of story by Tuesday. At some point in time, a lot of other content to get cranked out too. So this, although we don't have cars on track Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and I think everyone just wants to take a deep nap to let their brain rest more than anything, there's still a lot of content to crank out. So going to try and get this Zach Brown stuff going here too. Uh, it's actually not just Zach. Uh, I started writing this actually a couple days ago about uh, if McLaren fails to qualify, some of the reasons that I've observed why. So get into that a little bit here, um, if not a lot with Jim. Anyway, so that's our offering for the day, the final day at Indy until we come back for Carb Day. All of this is presented by our dear friends at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, both of whom have helped me to celebrate the third anniversary of this little podcast, and also our pals at torontomotorsports.com that have been along for almost the entire ride to and that will be here in Indy, Saturday morning, 8 a.m., 
at the Indie Memorabilia Show right behind the Pagoda. They're going to have a pop-up shop one day inside, all kinds of custom Indy 500 t-shirts and stickers and all kinds of great stuff. So hoping you check them out. All right, with all that said, let's get going with our man Chris Medland. Then on to our boy, Mr. Ferrucci. We're going to close with Jim and I speaking. Then you'll hear some music fade out. And we will, well, in terms of days at Indy, that'll be coming back to you on Friday. A lot more podcasts to come, though, on a variety of topics here on the Marshall Pro Podcast. Chris Medland, we are not even at 24 hours since McLaren Racing failed to qualify for the Indianapolis 500. Are you feeling like me where saying the words McLaren Racing failed to qualify for the Indy 500 is still rather surreal? Yeah, it's a bit, I mean, obviously I'm closer to that team a little bit than most other teams here dealing with them in Formula One. And it was uh, yeah, a bit of a shock yesterday. It was, it was kind of... Uh, a bit galling to watch them all go through the sort of emotion of it all but at the same time it's just fascinating to see Indy do that to a team that wasn't expecting it and it's why this qualifying format is so good I know we had the new one the way it played out this weekend but it was just full of drama and tension it was exhausting by the end of end of yesterday so I woke up today and thought yeah that happened that's uh, that's a, a real kick to one of the biggest teams in Formula 1 and biggest teams in motorsport I guess with what else they're involved in but it's just a, a sign of how tough it is to do well here, and it's not what I came here expecting to be talking about on the day I was leaving, I'll tell you that. So we don't have you for long. You do actually need to get to the Indianapolis airport, fly to Chicago, then fly to Maneco, is oh, it? Well, I drive to Chicago, drive so it's way Chicago. more fun than flying. Then you um, fly to Maneco. I fly to Brussels, because I'm, oh. I'm so glamorous overnight, and then I fly down to Nice, and then I get a taxi to Maneco, as you just called it. <laughs> I had to get it in there. Well, we got to throw in Maneco when we can. So you will get to, again, we don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, but we'll get to some of the failings here in a moment. But where I just think your context would be so fascinating is you cover McLaren among all the other F1 teams for a living every day. You've been there during the very lean years. Things are improving incrementally, but you have seen McLaren just stuck in absolute doldrums the last couple of years. Any parallels Feeling-wise, observationally, to what happened here, to anything on the F1 side? Yeah, I'd say there are some, actually. I mean, part of it is just, it looked like there were too many voices at the top. Now, this, the leadership structure wasn't set set right. And I think they tried to do the right thing, getting Bob Fernley in to oversee it, letting Gilda Farron look after the Formula 1 side on the whole, but then be able to dip in when he could. Zach, then he's brought Andreas Seidel in for the Formula 1 team, so he's able to step back. But then when you got here and you had Zach and Joe on the pit wall around Fernando, Bob sometimes there, sometimes not, wasn't really too sure what Floating around was. in the background. Well, exactly, and, and, and now no longer sort yeah. of involved. So clearly there was a disconnect there. And it just, obviously that structure wasn't right. And that was something that they were struggling with before and seem to have put in place now that is better, which is why we've seen, I think, an improvement from McLaren on the Formula 1 team. They've got the right pieces in the right places or, or better pieces in the right places to start making progress they found out this weekend and you only get one shot at finding it out that the right pieces weren't in the right places with the IndyCar team and I mean Gilles de Farron has said that it was one of the most painful experiences or the most painful experience of his racing career and that they'll learn from it they've learned lots of lessons and he wants to come back I think they will come back but I think they'll come back looking very different because they'll have found 
as they found for quite a few years in Formula One, that if you haven't got your structure right, it doesn't matter how good the people are. If they're not the right people in the right place, they won't be able to do a job that will then result in a quick car. Fully realizing here, Chris, that this is not the Formula One team that has come to run the Indy 500 effort. There are some commonalities among personnel, not many. Gilles Deferrin being, I would say, the number one from an on-the-timing-stand-every-session standpoint. What surprised me, two things that surprised me, I'd love to get your thoughts on. Gilles having run a successful American Le Mans Series sports car team bearing his name, run IndyCar teams bearing his name, been here as an entrant, Indy 500 entrant, also been in leadership roles with in Formula One, now sporting director for McLaren. With his teams that bore his name, there were usually some very stout, at least one very stout manager. John Anderson comes to mind, the legendary and beloved late John Ando Anderson, who without Ando, Jill's sports car team isn't a team. Jill being positioned at McLaren as sporting director, I love the sound of that because at least by title, it plays to his strengths. Everyone knows, brilliant technical mind. I love Gilles, personal friend. I would never accuse that man of being a manager. And so seeing Gilles in a management position, that was among the first alarm bells. That Ooh, I, he, winner here, nose place, get all that. But core strengths, I'm not totally sure. That stood out to me. I don't know if that stood out to you. Another thing that just stood out very quickly was with Gilles Formula One experience, now also with McLaren, every Grand Prix weekend is one of immense pace and speed. Everything that happens by the second, highly orchestrated, maximize every moment available on track, etc. I don't know where that urgency went, but it looked like someone fed them the, a, a made-up schedule that said they had three weeks of practice going into qualifying. I Somewhere in this general, I'm not laying this all on Gilles' feet. I'm sure as hell not laying it on Bob Fernley's feet. I, I'm not sure what to make of this, but it looked like there's just odd positioning of people in roles they shouldn't have been in, maybe, and just a bizarre lack of sense of urgency. Did you see either? Definitely the lack of sense of urgency. It was yesterday morning, wasn't it? And I walked in just for the start of that half hour practice session when the rain was coming, but the crucial bit of running that all the teams, all, well, the six drivers were going to get that were going to be in the last row shootout. And McLaren weren't ready. The car didn't appear until, I think we, we timed it to be specific at nine minutes that it was then ready in the pit lane. Uh, we Fernando, heard from a friend that we spoke with. He said he was down there speaking with two senior members of the team, asked them, when are you guys going out? And he told us. Mm-hmm. One of them said 10.15. The other one said 10.45 at the same time. Yeah. And these are two people who should know without a doubt, which we don't know, but could that have been the reason they were late? They thought they might have gone out in the Fast 9 session? That'd be Potentially. Maybe they were expecting it to be completely delayed with weather coming in because it, it was coming, but it wasn't thunder. So there was we were just going to run until rain started falling rather than... Uh, and we'll predict it. Fair uh, point to mention, though, that of the six cars eligible to go out in that session, uh, all but Hunkos went out, and they actually didn't because their car wasn't ready and never planned to go out. So yeah. at least the other teams, rain or not, were there in case they could go out. They, they planned it. I mean, you look at the way I think Hinch and Sage both got quick runs in, and they, they, went, they went early, uh, and they were done within 10 minutes, I think. Basically, by the time they were going back and saying, yeah, we're happy, we've run 10 laps, we've got the balance that we want, or, or we know what we've got underneath us, now we'll go and make sure we tweak it at a qualifying. Fine. But McLaren came out, suddenly there's a scramble, car wasn't set up right, so Fernando does one lap, two laps, 
bottoming out badly, comes in to get that adjusted, goes out, and as soon as he starts his first flying lap to get a feel, the, the yellow comes out because it starts to rain, and, and that's it. They've missed it. So and it was no still feel. dragging and sparking yeah. as well after the adjustment. It was, it was just one of those where I was amazed because that's not what they're like in Formula 1. And they've had a bad time of it, but they're still, this year, one of their strengths certainly has been the way they operate as a team. It's been really impressive because they don't have the fourth quickest Formula 1 car, but they are now, they've moved a little bit clearer in fourth place in the championship because they just execute brilliantly. They did the fastest pit stops uh, in Barcelona. They, as a Formula 1 team, they're, they're excellent. And that's where I feel something's, something's lacking in terms of this side. But they also did put experienced people in place, and I think they probably backed that experience to then get them through. Unlike someone like Dragon Speed, who then went for, let's go through a process step by step. We have to tick every box. We have to start at number one and count up. And McLaren, I think, because of their experience, thought we can jump to number five because we know what one, one, two, three, and four do. And they might know what they do, but I think it just tripped them up a little bit. And it's, it could have still worked. We're talking the finest of margins. You look at the times. On both days, Fernando was within a whisker of being in, both in the top 30 and then the top 33. Let's close on this, Chris. So... You're now heading out of Indy to Monaco. I know I'm asking you to predict the future, which we believe you can because you're English and that's where wizards come from. Indeed, yeah. Um, What do you think the reaction might be among your reporter colleagues, your friends among the various F1 teams you'll see as you walk up and down pit lane? Because you know they're all going to be asking you, what do you think the reaction might be? Ha-ha? Embarrassment? maybe this we should give this series this race more credit than we did i'm just curious what you think the reactions might be it it comes from i know what it's going to be from certain areas of the media um from the the print media and sort of the fleet street style that we have uh it's going to go for mclaren and hard that it was a waste of money that they were arrogant that they underestimated the place uh and questions will be asked about how much it cost And, and zach said on friday that they were going to turn a profit here but I imagine they're not going to do that by not qualifying. So uh, he said, you know, by selling out the car and, and all the interest they got, everything they sold on it, that actually financially this was a good event for them. Uh, but now it won't be, so they'll get that question. But then from the more general motorsport media that I'm involved in, they're going to be a bit more understanding, but they're also going to say, you know, why did it go wrong? They're going to dig deep into, so who did a bad job or what were the mistakes that were made? And will you be back? Because... Has this, has this burned them too much? I don't think it has. I think it'll be back, just for the record. But that will be the question that gets asked from that side. The teams themselves, there'll be, there'll be some that are looking and probably, yeah, that, that'll be laughing almost at, at the way that McLaren have used it to you know, bolster their, their profile over here. They've really talked it up, really committed to it. And then for it to not happen there might be a few teams that are feeling a bit smug that they don't get distracted by that sort of thing but then if McLaren show up and have a good weekend and I, I'm sure they'll have a solid one in Monaco then it hasn't distracted from Formula 1 and that's one thing that Zach was very keen to make sure didn't happen as much as this has been a failure if it doesn't affect the Formula 1 project then he's fulfilled that promise but uh, yeah I think some of the teams might be a little bit a little bit um, smug about the fact that they haven't taken this sort of risk I know one person's going to get a lot of questions actually who has nothing to do with McLaren but that's Lewis Hamilton because he saw Fernando qualify here uh, up in was it fifth he was um, in 2017 on the Saturday and uh, Lewis after that in Monaco said well then you start to question the quality of IndyCar if Fernando can just rock up 
against guys that run all season, teams that run all season, jump in a car and be that quick. He's like, he knows how good Fernando is, but he said, you know, you start to question it. Now Lewis will get asked, he's like, you still think that when you've just seen McLaren fail completely. So, yeah, it'll, it'll actually, it'll be wide ranging. I imagine it'll be the hottest topic in, in the Formula One paddock for most of this week until we get some action at, in Monaco. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, as the presenter asking those questions in press conferences, uh, do not let the one slide on Lewis Hamilton. And remember, Miller and I gave you a little secret code word we want you to release just for us that only we will know. Wasn't it four words? Uh, it was. <laughs> uh, and it was something about seeing you later next week. I'm yeah, not sure. It was a, a day in the week, something like day, that. Yeah. Snoop Medley Med, we genuinely love having you here. We hate the fact that you got to go back and do your day job, but seriously, it's a blast always having you here. And just the the professionalism and perspectives you bring from coming outside our little provincial world of IndyCar, it's always appreciated, my friend. Uh, I love it, and uh, I'll be back next year. Hopefully, so will McLaren, and hopefully, I'll be here for the for the whole thing and see the show finally. So, yeah, looking forward to being back. Twenty four hours of Fernando Alonso coverage brought to you by Racers Chris Medland. Santino Ferrucci, you get to take a little bit of time off after qualifying for your first Indy 500. I'm not sure why you aren't being dispatched to some great place, uh, but other drivers are. But I'm actually, you should be happy. They're jealous, probably, of the fact that you're getting to chill right here while they're sprinting for airports at the moment to go help promote the 500. Let's talk about your month so far. You've been on my list of folks I've been wanting to catch up with because you... And I would say Marcus Erickson have stuck out the most for me among the rookies as those who have been quick, respectful of the place. Can't recall any big oversteer moments. Seems like you've plugged yourself in to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with the right mindset. Yes? No? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot to do with that is the preparation. So you go, you go into this month listening to everybody, like Juan Pablo Montoya, Sebastian Bourdais, Michael Cannon, Pancho Carter. You just take all these people's wealth of information, and you compile it, and you listen. You, you know, the biggest thing with my engineer, Mike, was we're not trimming. And after looking back on it now, on Saturday, after the qualifying run, I was like, you know... Back of my mind, as much as I wanted to trim on Wednesday and on Thursday, you know, when after qualifying was done, I can totally understand why we didn't, why we kept it safe, and I'm kind of glad that we're back in race trim right now. There were some some attempts at trimming a little bit, or at least letting things get a little bit funkier, and the stories of you coming back with your eyes just the size of bowling balls, like kidding me right just share some of that and even when we spoke after qualifying yesterday you were talking or on saturday you were talking about the wind chucking the car around i mean your descriptions of how violent slash scary slash why do human beings do this by will it was really it was cool to hear that honesty yeah i mean we so we started our friday so when you start trimming and we did three runs in the morning i went the first, the very first run, I went out, I went down the straight, and I pitted immediately just because I had three people talking to me, and I couldn't focus, and I was too jittery, and I just couldn't do it, so I just pitted. Did the next run, car just felt really unstable going through one, two, just backed off it, came in, you know. Mike kind of knew what was going on, changed the car. We did 
one full run at the end of the day on Friday. That was it. Set us up, and I was I was actually really happy. I thought the car was really planted. And then, uh, you know, you walk out of the trailer and Saturday, and it's kind of like, all right, two people are going home. You don't want to be one of those. <laughs> and uh, Mike's, you know, Mike comes in. He's like, you know, you're going to make the show. Just, just telling you, you know, just keep it keep it conservative you know keep your foot in it and just it'll be fine and uh after lap one I was like all right lap two at that point I had committed my foot wasn't coming off the throttle my brake foot was probably bending the dead pedal (laughs) (laughs) and uh made lap three I went around turn two and the car just slid and I was like "Uh uh-uh it's like this is the moment where you see Rosenquist, where you see Pato, and, you, you know, where we saw Hinch have that, that ugly accident, and you're just like, you know, it's like, ah, that, that was, I thought that was going to be me in lap four. I didn't even, I didn't touch my tools. I didn't touch anything because I was so nervous to just do anything. So I just kind of s- stuck it around, prayed, didn't want to lift. I knew that the one thing I had been told was don't turn the wheel twice, turn the wheel once, in all four turns on that lap and where it ended up it ended up and uh i was so so happy that it was over with like as far as like you can't come here and not be prepared to put your life on the line and qualifying if you want to do well like it's it's one of those things where you really feel like you're playing with it so i'm kind of happy that it's over so looking at your qualifying performance you'll be starting 23rd today at the end of the two-hour, call it final practice. I know we have carb day, but that's, mm-hmm. although that is technically final practice, it's a lot of pit stops. It's a, this is a day where effectively everyone can just go balls out. They're not worrying about anything other than pure race running. 21st here. What are you feeling for your upcoming debut in terms of competitive abilities? If Cannon says, guess what, kid? I'm still not trimming on race day. And you know you may be 20th or so in your debut. Is that a disappointment? Is that a, I got a good one in the bank, and next year, Cannon, we are going to trim? Where's your head? Uh, well, we did our first run in a pack of, like, 20 cars, and that was like, wow. Like, <laughs> this is nuts. Like, this is my introduction to oval racing right here, and I'm just like... All right, you know, I ran with five or six in all the practice days. I ran three cars with my teammate. You're sitting in the back of that train of 20 cars, and, you know, your head's just bobbling back and forth. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't can't believe that we're going to do this, and there's going to be 33 of us. So, you know, it came in, made a change because I was just struggling. I was too, too, too nervous to use the tools, too nervous to get on top of the car, too nervous to get close to anybody. A change went back out, and I think we passed a fair amount of that pack, which was really nice, confidence-inspiring. And um, no, we just went back. I just debriefed, and I told Mike, I was like, is there any way we could put more downforce in it? Wow. I was, I was happy with it. So, Share with folks what it is like as you're not just an Indy 500 rookie, as you mentioned. You are an oval racing rookie, so you're having to learn a whole new discipline at the scariest, fastest, most important place there is to do it. You know how to set up and execute a pass on any 
natural terrain or street course. You don't even have to think. It's just natural having done that. Mm -hmm. Share what you just learned even more about just recently here today of, okay, so I'm seventh in the row, but this person moved a little bit to the left. Could I possibly try them around the high side? I mean, you're you're not just setting up for a race day, right? You're also filling a lot of empty pages of experience. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest point for me today is when I was behind Castro Neves. Never heard of him, but go ahead. And man, was he playing with me. What I mean, like, he was checking his mirrors, defending. It wasn't defending because I would pass him. It's because he was trying to teach me how to pass him, which I thought was really unique. Fascinating. And, you know, you don't see that very often. I sat behind him for four laps trying to get by until I understood the timing because racing someone like Castro Neves is very different than racing another rookie like Hanley. Just, you know, we all make the same mistakes. We all tend to lift in turns two and four because we don't know any better, and it kills our runs down the straight. With Cash Neves, he was defending me to get me to lift off sooner going into three and into one so I could get a stronger run out of two and out of four. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was pretty hilarious because, you know, you don't normally get help from, you know, other teams. And to me, that was like, all right, so this is where he wants me to pass him, and this is where he wants me to pull out. So I was kind of like, ah, I get it. And that's the, that's the thing you hear the veteran drivers talk about. And that's the, of course, I want to beat you. And I have every intention of doing that. But let, if I can, let's either work together or let me show you, if you don't know, how we can both coexist. And you'll get the thing you need if you're faster than me. But keep in mind, I'll be doing the same. But there's just that thing of, okay, I can't be the guy chucking it in at the one marker and screwing the guy's exit off of corner road course such and such this is let's compete got to take care of each other though yeah and you know that was cool you know i it was it was nice to have someone race me like that too i mean it's kind of being a rookie sometimes veteran drivers try to get a little bit of a aggressive arm on you like but they race you hard and clean and it's nice to have someone like that who's you know, I've probably talked to a couple of times throughout the whole year to kind of like teach you, teach you on track. So which uh, different experience, but makes you a little bit more confident going into the race. Let's talk about this place. You coming up, karting off to Europe, Formula One being a goal. Not saying you've given up on that goal, but where did the Indy 500 stand for you, if at all, in a... I want to get there someday. Just in terms of focus, was that something on your list? It's probably on my list when I was in my 30s, not in my 20. Uh, just because of the fact that I always thought it was dangerous, you know, to come out here and it's a dangerous sport. It's dangerous running on ovals at 230 miles an hour. There's nothing, you know, it's very safe. But at the end of the day, it's you know, you got to have your wits about you, and everyone's got to respect everybody and you know, to be doing it, you know, even walking through Gasoline Alley on qualifying and all the fans there, I mean, the fans are, like, unreal. You don't have an energy like that in Europe because everyone's always so hidden and you're always so, like, away from people. Did you hear me booing? I was trying to offset that a little bit, but 
Anyways. Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah. I was walking through. I heard one first. No. I'm throwing stuff at you, too, but it didn't, <laughs> I, my aim was really bad. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's impressive. Even in the rain, man, people sticking around, like, are you kidding? It's like, I would have been home. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was out signing autographs in the rain. I was like, oh, this is great. I can't, you know, they're like, thank you. I'm like, oh, thanks for staying. You know, it's they make they make this race, in my opinion. I think it's a fan-made race more than it is anything else. Let's stick on this. So, obviously, having competed a handful of races to start your first full-season rookie campaign at IndyCar, got to meet some fans, folks are getting to know you. What has the experience been like here as a rook among many rooks? What's it been like, folks stopping you, saying hello, wanting a selfie and whatnot? Have you felt that greater embrace from folks? Yeah, it's, you know, and I just, like, said coming from where i was in european racing it's hard for them to get to you it's hard for fans to come find you or here they're just walking around you know it's like but it's like you're also a casual person too you're you know you're just a normal guy you just happen to be doing a slightly different job and you know it's cool to sit there and share an experience or to hear where some people are from like i think the greatest thing that i had all weekend was on saturday i think it was friday or saturday of the gp I was walking back, and there was a kid just literally walking past behind the motorhome, the driver-owner lot, motorhomes, just walking. Didn't, no idea, just, and he was wearing a, he made his own Santino Fruit shirt. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, hey, you, stay right there. <laughs> so I went in, I grabbed a Sharpie and a couple of stuff that I have in my bus, and I ran him out, and we took a picture. I was like, for me, that's like, I've never seen that before. That so is so cool. That made my day. That is so, so cool. I was really happy. And, uh, no, I thought, um, you know, stuff like that, that you see walking around the paddock, that's like, you know, you feel it makes you feel like you belong. Let's close on one or two items that stand out that I think might be of, of unique experience or items for you, having spent many of your young years in your young life in Europe, knowing that a name like Fernando Alonso is, will always be legendary. Did it strike you at all as a guy who has tested a Formula One car twice, is it? A couple handful of times? Twice. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the race, your very first attempt, someone like Fernando Alonso who on any normal day could be on the pole with the right car, right team, etc. I'm guessing just having grown up and seen him perform in front of you for years, it must have been a little bit surreal to realize I get to stay Fernando's on a flight home. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a team like that, you know, a whole team that's been preparing for this race as well. I mean, our team's been preparing as well since January, and it just comes down to what you put in, what you get out, and sometimes, you know, it's nothing. Fernando's probably one of the greatest drivers to walk, walk around, especially in this paddock and in F1 paddock and all those, like, good things, and... You know, I kind of wish he was in the race, but also I think it's a testament to how hard it is to get into this race. And it really shows that you need to bring your A game no matter where you go. And I think it also is a testament to how hard the IndyCar paddock and how competitive it's getting over the past few years, So, which is nice to see. Let's wrap up on this, Santino. So, young cat... Lots of energy, lots of belief in yourself, wanting to attack and win the world every day. You've been very open about 
you know, I might have some nerves going on and my mind might be divided a little bit. I need to focus myself. This has been the easy part of the event. <laughs> Things go a little sideways here in a couple of days where carb day is going to be tons of people and activity and concerts outside. And it's going to rain. Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be hundreds of thousands of people. Then you, then you get to go race for a couple hours and try and win the biggest race in America, if not the world. How do you keep yourself in that happy place mentally where you can perform as an athlete? And do you have any folks in or around you that will either help keep you there, give you a little foot in the ass if you're getting off, you know, offline a little bit? How do you get ready for what should be a pretty amazing Sunday? Uh, to be honest, the fact that you get to stay in a motorhome, which is filled with your personal belongings, and, you know, you have your family around you, you have your friends around you, you have my sponsor around me, you know, who's a really good friend. And You got your pajamas, you got yeah. your teddy bear. I got my Make It Go Wire. Look at that. <laughs> I got I got everything. And so I was like, you know, it's so cool to finish up the day and go back and literally play video games, like get to go out and play Need for Speed. It's just like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even argue with that. <laughs> I think mentally, as far as a mental state, I'm still... I've almost about found myself and almost fully recovered from everything in Europe to where I've been where I felt like I haven't been since carting days, mm. which is nice. So, like, it's nice to, you know, I'm just so happy to be around and just have a smile on my face everywhere I go, you know, just because it's always a new experience. You know, you never know what you're going to get. So, and I'm very much looking forward to carb day, you know, seeing all the fans Saturday, doing all the activities, traveling around, you know, and Sunday walking out because... I think Sunday is one of those days you're going to walk out to the grid and you're, just like, you're that superstar that gets to get in one of these cars. You know, you're one of those lucky kids that gets to go around and try and win this race. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm staring at your PR ace, Karina Redmond. We're going to need to make sure he has at least one pair of adult diapers on because he might just wet himself walking out. It, it's going to be a little crazy for you. <laughs> I got him. Don't worry. I got a couple <laughs> sets of Nomex. <laughs> We're all set. Uh, and I ordered my second suit, so good you man. just never know. <laughs> See, well prepared. Santino, seriously, I'm happy, not only happy for you, this month has been going well for you, but having seen you come back to the U.S. last year after big learning opportunity in Europe and seeing that look in your eyes and that feeling of a lot of weight in your shoulders, a lot of looking at people to see what their intent was. Are they coming after me? It's been cool, as you mentioned, to see you back when I met you when you were, I think, physically four feet tall with the afro about five foot five but nonetheless as a 12 year old or whatever the hell you were it is really cool just to see you back to a place with the lights in your eyes that smile is there and you're just feeling you've learned and you're growing and becoming a 20 year old you'll be 21 year old 22 and just earning your way in the world man so really yeah. happy for you thank you and uh, i did rock the afro on fast friday I told everybody i would i definitely did so it was fun. It was Fast Friday. Maybe I'll do it again on Carb Day. If there's one grand disappointment this month, it's hurt his little monkey ass who's been threatening he was going to go with the Mohawk. I mean, I realize we got two couple more days left, but I've seen nothing. So at least we know you've delivered. Yeah, you know, got to keep, you know, change it up, you know. S step it up, Herta. You suck. <laughs> Jim Aiello, the IndyCar, IndyStar, at the Indianapolis Star. <laughs> <laughs> Ye of IndyCar reporting and other things local here in greater Indianapolis sports. So coming out of 
I don't even, I've yet to even come up with a proper descriptor for what last weekend I, was. I, yeah, I was so flustered. <laughs> Miller is, our boy Robin Miller is yeah. working on the mailbag. Yeah. And as much as I love talking about the day's events with drivers, um, I just need a fellow reporter to help try and digest, explain, contextualize what the hell just happened. Let's see if we can do it. Actually, it's funny. I was, I, uh, the first day of, um, I recorded a video after, I think, Saturday. And I, it was the segment we do. We do this thing called Pit Pass Live at Indie Star. And that first segment of the video was, I, I don't think I said a coherent word in it. I was just. <laughs> cars. I was cars. Weird. Yeah, it was an Alonzo, Alonzo Struggle and uh, <laughs> Funko's sponsor. I, and that was <laughs> cut. And that was the end of the first segment. So, yeah. I hope people got to enjoy that um, and watch it a million times. Because it was, yeah, no, Saturday was wild. Sunday was. Uh, just at what an hour and a half of just sheer drama i i i didn't even just being honest i was in the in the garage talking to trevor carlin when spencer pickett went out for the final run of the fast nine i mean i was just i was just trying to get interviews with people candidly you know and 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 it all happened so fast so much happened where were you? Were you on track the whole time? I was down. Yeah, I wanted to be down there just to see reactions, to speak with some folks. Uh, well, you got to do photos too, so that's a different story. Yeah. And I had a little help, so I had people, you know, there. But no, I, I mean, the main thing I was looking for, and you and I discussed, and I'll we'll pass this on to our friends at IMS. So, with this revised qualifying arrangement, where we have a last and a good old dirt track style LCQ last chance qualifying <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah structurally they had it where the last six would be followed immediately by the fast nine fast six would work there but uh the the fast nine already this week and the way things were set up is you would have the uh, last six qualifiers go and as often happens during regular qualifying here say on saturday person makes their qualifying run speak to ABC in the past, this right. year and going forward, NBC speak to IMS radio, blah, blah, blah. Then they get brought around. Media gets to speak to them in a pen. Then they're released. So done with all media duties. Right. right. That same formula was applied to the last row qualifiers, which is a little bit weird because we have six drivers, Jim, yep. trying to make three spots. Yep. And if the first person through sets whatever time, and they go through that system, which is great. You get to see them, and hey, what do you think? Really, the questions to ask will only be ready of any value once we've gotten through a couple and we start to find out who's in, who's out. Yep. Because how is your car doesn't matter if, you're, if they're going home. And so after figuring out that kind of rhyming mechanism, that's why I was just down there going, okay. So And I, most people were trying to track who's where, who's what. Knowing that you were trying to speak with Trevor Carlin, I can just tell you that I was in the midst of speaking with a somewhat grumpy Max Chilton, as yeah. you would be. Right. And in the middle of it, the audio I couldn't use is him kind of cursing and going, holy bleep, Fernando Alonso <laughs> just got bumped out. And I think That's there were many cheers for Kyle Kaiser doing that. Right, right. Along with gasps. You rarely hear gasps at any time other than when a crash takes place. Yeah, absolutely. Just share from from your view, Jim, as someone who's again year, early and young in your reporting career, what it's like seeing the weight and gravity of that play out. It was, I mean, it was incredible because I was down with 
Hinchcliffe when that happened because that was going to be the story I was going to write. So we were all kind of watching him, and once I think once Max didn't turn a quick enough time, there was that sigh of relief from from that entire team. Uh, you know, Hinch was kind of subdued about it, and I, I think you were in the interview later where he was just talking about how it you know it feels great to be back in, but he was mostly just feeling gutted for the guys that missed. I mean, I he, I, he no one knows better than him how bad it is to miss. And so that was an interesting um, thing to be part of, too. And then, yeah, you see... So I went back with Hinchcliffe to see that, and then you all of a sudden you see Kyle Kaiser. And I don't know about you, but after the third lap, I didn't think he had it. I thought that fourth lap, there was going to be enough degradation on the tires, that the time was going to go down enough, enough that Fernando was going to sneak his way in, and that was going to be the way it was going to play out. And then, like you said, you could hear the... Ga- I mean, not that many people there on Sunday... Hard to fault the uh, Indianapolis area with all the rain and the, the big delays and all that kind of stuff, but credit to the people who stuck it out. Uh, but you could hear you could hear the gasp go and then cheering for Kyle Kaiser. And honestly, what I saw was down pit road was just a bunch of green uniforms jumping up and down, <laughs> celebrating, screaming. The Hunkos oh, boys. It was unbelievable. What a, it was such a cool moment. I wish I was down there for that moment. And it's, yeah, I mean, I think you, you probably wrestle with this all the time. Where do you have to be to get the best story, the one you're working on? And also, you know, if there's 18 other reporters doing this, I probably should be over here do, getting the other exactly. thing. Exactly. And so funny you mentioned that. And I realize we're just talking a little bit of inside baseball here. But <laughs> for those of you who are listening to my podcast, you know that structure is not necessarily a, a friend or ally at all times. <laughs> so where I happen to be standing on pit lane as this was going down was in a spot where I'm watching Zach Brown, McLaren's okay. CEO, as Kaiser is completing his run. So three laps in, finishing his fourth, same thing. This is going to be close. And just as he swept by, at least <clears throat> with the timing and scoring that's shown on the public displays here, there's a little bit of a gap. So it's not like the minute the car crosses okay. start finish, the speed pops right. up. It's usually the driver gets into turn one, maybe the short shoot. That's kind of when the info comes up. And so knowing that delay, saw that saw Zach, he looked up, noticed, and saw that they were out and just started walking away uh, down pit lane towards turn one to, uh, assuming, just leave. Into oblivion. And, <laughs> and so that was one of the things where I'm sitting there going, well, I know Zach, I've known Zach for a while. Um, I probably should go chase him. Right. No one, it wasn't like he had a mob of people around. He was just kind of on his own and very frustrated. Of but course. I should have gone straight to him. But I also realize that if I do that, I'm going to miss Ricardo Junco's, Kyle Kaiser. Exactly. And so it's the, do you go after and get the wah, wah, wah quote, or do you go and try and get the quote about what is really a celebratory thing? Yeah. So although the failure of Fernando Alonso to qualify is the thing that's overriding stuff on a global level, it's the, yeah. at least here locally, and I hope at least within the continental United States, Folks are embracing this little team that could. So that's the direction I went. Coming out of yesterday, though, we've seen Jenna Fryer, who you and I both share a lot of affinity for. And for sure. Out hell of, of a reporter. Absolutely. Uh, tough as nails and really excellent at what she does. Great interview with Zach Brown, where Zach laid out the majority, not all, but the majority of their failings in what led to qualifying yes, for the Indianapolis 500. I have a lot of faults, Jim. I share a decent amount of those with either my listeners, my friends. I'm not someone who really tries to cover up the things about me that suck or should be better. 
I got to admit, I don't usually try and cr- offer them in a Probably. chronological manner. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of them. So there's no question how badly I'm failing. Yeah. This was a shock. Yeah. As someone to, I don't know if expose themselves that much because the, we'll get to this in a sec. There's a little bit of an agenda here you could discern from the quotes that Absolutely. he offered. Were you surprised just to see the level of admissions to Jenna? I think it's one of those, you get out in front of the story, right? You, you embrace it. It's always like one of those things where if you hide or you try to like, you, you give one little quote here and there, or you, you don't really tackle the story and face it head on. That's when it gets worse. So I think if Zach just came out and said, here's the six errors that we made and throws it all at the wall at one time, that story disappears a little bit quicker. That's my theory on what happened. But obviously, like you said, you read the story, and, and I, think you're, I think you're right. I think there's an agenda, and I'll, I mean, I think, I think it's, it, it's not unfair to say it coincides with the news that, that occurred today. I think that Bob Friendly getting fired today was partial. I, I don't think his name actually came up in the story or in a quote. If I Not remember that correctly, I no. But there were some inferences there that I think I think he said something about how it just wasn't a very well run. There was an organizational issue with the team, and I and again when you say that and then you fire the president of McLaren Indy, I think you you know you've said you've said what you were trying to say about the way the organization was run. So, um, I, I'm back with you though. Stunning, stunning confession. But you had to say something, right? I mean, because this is McLaren. We're talking about and Dragon Speed and Hunkos and McCawson Marshall. I mean, these are these are teams operating on a what an eighth of the budget, maybe. I mean, depending on the numbers you hear and believe about the money that McLaren brought to this program. Elton Julian, he was joking, but he was also there was some hidden truth when he said, "I believe there is more money in McLaren's hospitality compound here I, at Indy than my entire I, team." I wouldn't. I'd believe it. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things. So I do think you have to. It's a public failure. And and I think to a certain degree an embarrassment for a team like McLaren, right? It I don't know I don't know how you feel where, about that. Where where I thought things were interesting is Jill LeFerrin had been the person thrown onto the funeral pyre. Yes, he was thrown to the wolves last night. And I thought that I interpreted that as a calculated move. Okay. I'm not saying if my interpretation's correct, but I know that Zach having been under fire, at least in the media. Media sure. does. Media is not a board member nope. at McLaren. Has no voting power. So ultimately, we meaningless. Though, right? yeah. Well, no. <laughs> um, if those who fund and are in charge of McLaren are listening to external sources, though, they would have heard folks questioning Zach Brown's capabilities. Three years in there, Formula One team getting better, but still. Yeah. Anyways, there's been a lot of fodder that could be used to say, "Boy, maybe this person isn't the right." CEO for our racing endeavors, it didn't strike me as odd to then see knowing the lingering heat from F1 on that subject that when it came time to come up and sit and speak about all their failings, Zach wasn't the guy, wasn't the one on camera, wasn't the one putting himself out. Gilles DeFerrin, who had really become the de facto leader yes. of this effort, was indeed the one put up in front of people. So that's the part that surprised me to see that Zach actually is the one going on the record and going so deep into acknowledging their failures. We'll see if strategically, if there's good strategery in that move or not. Where this thing takes just an interesting turn for me, Jim, is 
from what I saw here, and I've mentioned this a, more than a few times in the past, heck, three, four weeks now, from what I saw here in the Indy Open test, standing down there for about an hour and a half uh, when they were rolling out, mm-hmm. I could tell that this was a ship that was, if not going to sink, going to run aground without s- some major structural changes. Yeah. A great chief mechanic like Anton Julian was not going to save the whole thing in and of himself. What I found interesting in many of the quotes offered, share your thoughts on this, please. A lot of blame, a lot of cover your ass involved, a lot of throwing technical partner Carlin, I don't know if under a bus, at least under an SUV seemed to be something where you and I both recalled quotes from Zach truly diminishing the link and arrangement leading up to the month. Correct. Where did, where does not just the opening up and revelations of errors stand with you, but maybe some of the agenda stuff we mentioned in the beginning and maybe some of the rather weird shift places of blame to shift that might suit one's person oneself well it's like we talked about i said i mean i do think that that bob took the a brunt of of some of those quotes from zach um and obviously paid the price with his job um but yes you are correct i i found it very fascinating that zach and bob who i talked to i don't know thursday and i said you know after after they had crashed and they were trying to rebuild the car i said you know you guys gonna be able to lean on carlin a little bit here to try to help you guys pick jump back up to the speed because you're not going to turn that many laps and they said we're not relying on Carlin at all. This is all us. We're going to do this. Carlin's doing their own thing. And then to see the quotes that he says, well, Carlin clearly couldn't, I think, I don't, I, th- I think it was Carlin clearly couldn't provi- support us ser- or provide support the service. service. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, once, once they took on Pato, it's pretty much what he said, right? Cause that once they took on that third car to add to uh, Max and Charlie, it's surprising. It is genuinely surprising. I'd be lying to you if I said, I haven't already reached out to Trevor to see what he thought about it. Um, I think he's flying back to England right now. So he, Hopefully he maybe maybe he gets to enjoy a pleasant flight and doesn't have to think about it for a little while. But I can't. Yeah, I don't want to speak for Trevor, but I bet he'll be shocked when he sees it. To be honest with you, I don't believe he'll be shocked. I think having seen some behavioral trends, mm, that's a fair point. Uh, in their interactions in a relation, I actually think. He'll say, yeah, that's about right. That, that's kind of what I would have expected. You thought he would get thrown under the bus, huh? I just, yeah. I just thought with the partnership ending that he might just let it go. Zach, I mean. I've heard strong suggestion that there was some stressing of that relationship in relation to something Robin reported, I reported, you may have reported as well, about Pato Ward having breakfast with Zach at Long Beach. Yes, and that possibly being something that was news to the team that employs Pato. And just from, this is this is asking someone's girlfriend or boyfriend if they want to go have dinner without letting their significant other know that, hey, I might want to date who you're currently with. Yeah. Just relationship-wise, there's nothing illegal. But if we're talking about good citizenship, and especially in a press release saying that, hey, these two organizations are working together, yeah. that might not give a great indicator of where proper respect is shown, lanes being stayed in. So well, I can tell you that 
you know, talking to Pato about it, I don't. It's not a surprise that Trevor, that given given what that breakfast that you referenced, that Trevor was, from what Pato said, influential in helping organize the the Red Bull situation. Maybe he was a little upset about the way Zach came in with McLaren, and Trevor said, "Oh yeah, okay, well, watch this." I don't know. I know that when Helmet called, am I saying his name right? Yes, Helmet Marco. Just gonna say it, and then you know, no want to stress the right syllables there. <laughs> um, no, I know that Trevor was spoke very complimentary of of Pato and was very helpful in trying to get make that deal work. And I wonder, I didn't, I didn't maybe consider that there was some different agenda there, maybe for him. I do know that there was also some stress when, and I did, I think. Um, Jenna mentioned this that the papaya orange wasn't the correct papaya orange when the car was painted by the by the Carlin team, and that was part of the reason the car wasn't ready once Alonso wrecked. I don't know if that was pass again throwing Carlin under the bus or not. But did you see? Did you happen to notice Jim on Kyle Kaiser's backup car, the Frankenmobile that rolled mm-hmm. out? Did you happen to notice that the AFP, the Advanced Frontal Protection Device, mounted atop the cockpit? Did you happen to notice that the area around that was unpainted? It was freshly sanded? Oh, I don't think I did notice that. Okay. So knowing that time on track is really the most valuable thing here, did Hunkos Racing say, poop, got a big crash, got to recover, but... There's a bare carbon, uncovered, unseemly portion of the tub. Sorry, Kyle. You're going to have to sit and wait while we make the car look pretty. I just don't understand why they, why wouldn't they just send them out, make sure they get the laps turned in, paint it the next day. And again, if it's orange, but not papaya orange. Are you, I mean, maybe you have a good eye. Maybe you notice. I, I don't notice. Dear listeners, you can't see this, but I'm holding up an orange Sharpie in front of Jim. <laughs> I don't know if it's papaya. Oh, no. But not I, papaya. Okay. But I can tell you I've got two or three. I've, yeah, okay. I've orange, got my... Orange Gatorade. This I've looks closer my, to papaya to yes. me. And uh, I'm just saying, for the low, low rate of like four ninety nine an hour labor, I can do up a chassis with a couple of Sharpies yeah, and I think McLaren might pay you more for that. Okay. If you were interested in a, you know, in a second date you know, job, if you're... You this know, if one you're might not be working out, okay. so... but. All ass hattery aside here, if McLaren were to have rolled out sooner with a car that was not visibly perfect, I believe the reaction by most would be, we see that every year. Yeah. Because someone crashes, they realize time is of the essence. We'll make it pretty once we have the time and or get in the show. It shows you where their priorities were. Honestly, in that situation, at that point, I don't think there was any urgency yet. I don't think they realized the trouble they were in yet. And, and it, again, this goes back to what kind of Zach was saying in the story, was that I, I just think that the, they underestimated just how tough this is. And I, and I think that was part of it. And, I mean, you can't, have, you can't have a whole day where you're not on track. You just can't. A whole Thursday? And, and Wednesday, all of Wednesday afternoon, I believe, right? Because Fernando crashed Wednesday yep. afternoon. I mean, you're playing catch-up after that. And you and I, we haven't even gotten to their... Uh, allegiances formed late on late on Saturday night going into Sunday and how that just didn't come that didn't end up working out anyway so there were quote rumors that <laughs> McLaren Racing was inquiring with other teams could they buy an entry I heard that have heard that that might have been an overstatement indeed they were searching for among Chevy teams is there a setup we could yeah, a little purchase help setup yep there was also there have been a lot of comments especially on the good old tweeters and book faces, as you would expect, folks saying, Team Penske's not going to help, but 
Ed Carpenter Racing, they always run an extra car each year. Couldn't Why didn't they go and speak to them? And I think many of us have it on pretty solid authority. Ed Carpenter's general mind frame was, sure, I'll talk with you. How much is going to cost? Yeah. Here's a number that is so outrageous, you just won't bother me anymore. Why? Not because I dislike you, because I want to beat you. So yeah. if you want to come play, here's a ridiculous number that we're going to, my kids, kids, kids colleges are going to be paid into the future <laughs> off of this. But by and large, no, I want to beat Fernando Alonso just as badly exactly. as anyone else. Ed, so, Ed wants to win. Ed's not concerned. I mean, Ed, obviously he has budgetary concerns in the future to worry about, but he's at, he's, he's at the place where he, that he cares about the most in the world. So, and so we saw Donnie Lambert, uh, Andretti Technologies, a uh, long-time Andretti guy, saw him on the timing stand during the LCQ practice session, yes. which uh, I can tell you my little iPhone information device done lit up with a lot of texts from race engineers, mechanics, you name it, who weren't in the LCQ, but were in Gasoline Alley watching going, Hey, what? who's that guy? Why is he there? <laughs> also heard, and the, again, this is just you guys talking into microphones and not saying any, any of this <laughs> is factual or correct. Um, had heard there might have been a suggestion knowing the Andretti Brown business relationship. Sure. Had heard that there might have been a decree from, I'll just say the engine manufacturer representing one of those two brands. Okay. That if any of the, any staff from one team was seen with the other, they would be more or less permanently excommunicated as a result. So <laughs> didn't hear that one. That's I don't, fun. I would not call that a threat, just okay. a, a clarification of expectations. That's the other camp. That's the other tribe. Yeah. You're in our tribe. Know where yeah. the battle lines are. And if you cross it, just know ahead of time, you're dead to us. Interesting to see them go in the direction of Andretti Technologies to use their dampers Damping is still a huge thing, even though yeah. some folks might think, well, is, isn't it just a speedway? The car isn't bouncing and bump. Well, it's still critical place of importance. Didn't pay off. There were mistakes there made uh, in ride height. Yeah. What's been cited, uh, again, in both in Jenna's story, but I've seen many other places talking about when the car went out and the ride height was too low and it turned into a sparkler. It actually did that twice. So I know that the yellow came out while Fernando was on track when it started raining but he had come in after they saw the problem. They made adjustments, and it was doing it the next outing as well. This is a car that looks like it was out of fuel on one of his yes, five did. runs on Saturday. And so seeing the blinking low uh, fuel warning lights on the dash, not a surprise during qualifying. Each team can set that minimum threshold right. to be whichever level they want to tr- in the tank. They want to tr- uh, trigger that. But the, we did see on the fourth lap, and I believe it might have been Fernando's third run, where we just heard the motor start to it, protect itself and yep. start to wind down. So we have that. There are many other things. Some things that are, Jenna's, again, stores excellent, covers a ton of stuff. Yeah, there are a lot of other things that weren't in around. there. But this is the reason I, I want to talk about this to the length that we have, Jim, is this is a systematic failure. This isn't, oh, good old Bill over there, he sucks. And look at all the negative ways he's impacting things. This is multiple people in senior management level 
responsibilities just simply either making poor decisions or even worse, which is what I saw a lot of, making no decisions, inaction. That's the thing that fascinates me where I can sit there and go, ooh, that guy's been around forever. He knows what he's doing. And this guy over here, and yet what was fascinating to observe there, say compared to Elton Julian's pit box, I don't know if you've had a chance to spend some time down there, pretty clear. Hey, I'm the boss. Yeah. I'm not wielding it as power, but I'm wielding it in terms of direction. This is change this thing, do that, pit now, go out, turn left, break, whatever it is. Clear, direct, and that leads to consistent execution. What I witnessed during the open test and this week in the McLaren pit box is car comes in, clearly is something wrong, clearly there's a bit of confusion, and I'm just looking. Who's reacting? Who's Who's taking charge? And it's, I obviously could not hear their internal communications. I asked, they didn't give me a headset. Uh, (laughs) But that's the thing where you go, hell, we saw earlier today a 90-year-old gentleman fell off of a chair while trying to put stuff up on the wall here in the media center. Yeah. And a couple of us, I think you're one of them as well, got up right away. Sir, can I help you? Meanwhile... Not a surprise. It's kind of a human condition. There are a lot of people who just sat and watched and said, oh, no, and waited to see if, oh, he's still moving. Oh, okay. And then saw someone else get up to get to him. I wasn't the first to him. Um, See if he was okay. That's kind of what I saw a lot of in the McLaren pits. It's Who's going to do something? I don't know if it was a too many cooks in the kitchen or you, and no chef. Is that I mean is that really what it is? Because it just because they had guys, like you talked about there was experienced people there. Guys who had with one Indy 500s. Guys with long Indy car resumes. People that, you know, I talked to Connor, he went on and on Connor Daly. He went on and on about Andy Brown and the qualities of Andy Brown. And, and I just I, it's just surprising to me that it wasn't organized in a way that you saw, like you said, you could identify these mistakes because all these te- every team has these mistakes throughout the month, or mo- you know, most teams have these kind of mistakes throughout the month, and able to bounce back from. I don't know. It was the 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 biggest moment for me was that again. It's going back to that that moment where El- or Fernando crashed, and he said it on Saturday after his first qualifying run, which was clearly not going to be good enough. He said, he said, Hunkos Racing spent the entire night getting their car ready to make sure we were back out here Saturday morning, and we missed an entire day of practice. What does that tell you? I mean, that's pretty much what he said. It's all, that's, that's all you need to say. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And I think, Jim, that speaks to Fernando's very amazing reaction to these failings, if you agree. I think he was surprised, to be honest with you, that it was this level of failure, honestly. Completely. I, I think that, seeing how bad <laughs> things had become, contributed to him saying, look, I'm still going to go out and keep trying. I'll never stop trying, but there was no, at least external trigger points of disappointment. There seemed to be a, all right, I'll do my part, but I'm not going to be surprised if this doesn't pan out. But I'm also just really impressed with his acceptance of what it takes to be a member of this race. And... I can think of some other drivers who acted far more, I'll just say poorly, on Saturday when they didn't make the Fast 30. 
and there were some who were less graceful in failing to make the show yesterday. Yeah. So for someone with a lot of eyeballs on everything that he does and a lot of expectation for him to be just as graceful and respectful of what where he is at and what it means, it said a lot. He, I told someone else, he could have been 2016, 17, whatever era, Fernando Alonso, McLaren, Honda F1, just setting things on yeah, fire. things apart, yeah. And he had that opportunity. He did. He was given every opportunity to be nasty as he wanted to be, and he wasn't. So I, I don't know if he, from those experiences he's learned a better way of handling things or if this place or, or if the, the genuinely great Fernando Alonso was humbled. Maybe. I, I, I mean, he definitely he, he didn't leave on Saturday. He, he pretty much said it's, McLaren has messed this up. This is not where it's supposed to be. But again, I, I'm not going to get on the guy for being honest. As a reporter, I treasure those people. Yeah. <laughs> those guys who will actually tell you the truth and will be honest with you, and sometimes it doesn't sound good. I think a guy like Graham Rahal gets, gets crushed for that a lot of the time, and it, it frustrates me because I think he gets crushed for complaining or whining when, in fact, he is asked a question about what went wrong, and he tells you what went wrong. Whether it was him, which he'll confess when it is him that makes a mistake, or whether it was something that happened to the team, tell you something the team made a mistake i know that rubs a lot of people the wrong way but to me I, I crave that honesty i do and i think that fernando has that kind of honesty and then at the end of it all the grace not to go back and, and back the truck back over but to say this is you have to be i don't know about perfect to make the show but you got to be close to perfect and we weren't and when jill deferrin said we're not buying it we don't want to buy mclaren doesn't want to buy back in we don't deserve it we didn't earn it and that's, I think Fernando truly believed that in his heart that, you know, I don't know if there's an, ever an Indianapolis 500 winner that's tainted. So if he were to say come back in a car and won, would it have been tainted? I don't know, maybe. But I just think, I don't think he could have stomached starting that race in somebody else's car. And I respect that quite a bit. Let's close with this, Jim. So we're going to take a couple days off. Well, let me rephrase that. There'll be no cars on track. I don't think anybody here in any capacity is taking days off. <laughs> Gasoline Alley, Media Center, you name it. What are a couple of things from you, your unique perspective, again, as a person uh, earlier in your career, but doing really good work, what are some of the things you're seeing coming this weekend, Sunday, for the 103rd 500 that you think folks should be paying attention to as themes? Interesting. Hmm. I talk about this crap all the time, so I'm just hoping not someone else will fill the void, so my apologies here. <laughs> I'll pay you when we're no, done. You know what, though? We, this, whole, this whole month has been David versus Goliath, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. A little bit? It's totally. been It's been Hunkos, it's been Dragon Speed, it's been Kloss and Marshall, and then it's been the, the failures of uh, of McLaren and Aeroschmidt-Peterson to a point. Um, and they did rebound, of course. But, yeah, you've seen you've seen a lot of these these titans fall. And we have, now we're going into the, the 103rd running. It's been five straight wins for Penske and Andretti. And so now I'm wondering, are we going to have another David story here? And I think, is that, does that Carpenter count as a David? I was going to ask. I, I, in terms of quality, they certainly are not a David. Correct. And they haven't been for years. But in terms of potential, knowing what they're up against, we know that they're not flush with Penske Cash no. and Ready Cash. No. They lost uh, a big sponsor going into this year. That, I mean, they still had resources to make this thing work, but that hurts. I would definitely put that as a a home team victory beating the, you know, the big out-of-towners. So would I be disappointed in any way 
Heck no, I'm not from Indiana, but no, I would love nothing more than to see. But I love the hometown story. Folks here being able to celebrate one of their own. Uh, again, all coming from the standpoint of we're highly impartial. Of course. And of course, have no opinion. No, no, but you, you do cheer for the good storylines. I don't think there's any, you can admit that kind of thing. And I think a guy like Ed Jones, or Ed Jones, well, Ed Jones is part yeah, of the yeah. race, but Ed, Ed Carpenter winning this race would just be an, an incredible story in, in, term, in itself. And I think another incredible one, I mean, we've all talked about it. It's been written a million times, but Marco is really good here. Arco Andretti, and obviously this is the 50th anniversary of his grandfather. Have you heard, by the way? Have you have you have you heard uh, anywhere that Aldo it's, Andretti? Yes. I think is his grandfather. Yes. Yeah, Mar- uh, I think Mario won some race 50-ish years Here's ago. Your 100. Yes, correct. 50. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, but still, the storyline would be great because you have the you know the quote-unquote Andretti curse, which Mario refuses to acknowledge, and I totally understand that because he thinks it's silly and stupid, and it is in a way. But they haven't won his family, and there have been a lot of close calls. So, and Marco is starting what I mean, tenth, right? He's got a pretty good Honda. I don't. I think the Chevrolets clearly have an advantage going into this race, oh, as we saw today on, on in practice. I think well, Alex looked pretty good in traffic. Uh, and some of these other guys look pretty good in traffic. Um, so I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to see a Chevrolet win. So I think that's a fun story. I know it's the one everyone's talking about, but Marco wants it pretty badly here. Pretty, pretty badly. My main thought before practice started was Alexander Rossi, Joseph Newgarden. I think we're going to see the, they're not next generation. They're almost mid-generation. Yeah. They're still young. Right, in, but 27, 28, yeah. I think they are going to further distinguish themselves as Indy 500 badasses. Joseph going for his first I love just from a regional standpoint, we have France represented first and seventh, right? Yeah. We've got Sebastian Bourdais, the person who helped Simon create a career for himself yeah. here, vouched for him, spoke with folks. So here uh, we have Bourdais sitting P7, Sebastian first, 100 years since the last Frenchman sat on pole, which is amazing. Incredible. Right? It's just good on him, too, to know that and like, well, you know, I'll try a little harder and get the pole yeah. just so I can say that. Um, I love that fact, Jim. I do love as well some of the uh, off-the-radar performances we've seen in qualifying. Jones, you mentioned Ed Jones. Yep. I'm loving where Ed Jones is at. I'm loving where Spencer Piggott is at. If they can tie together some stronger road course races throughout the rest of the year. I don't want to see Ed Carpenter retire at any point in time, but what I have not seen is that logical successor if and when he gets to that point where he makes that decision. That's fair. Right? Hey, we know he can go higher road racing kids, but who from the team would be able to maintain the quality and constant threat at the 500 if you're not in the car? Right. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you got a couple you of good a couple candidates of pair, here. Yeah, yeah. Couple I, of young talents, but I love that. I love Colton Herta in P five. My gosh, that kid! If he were to win the five hundred, <laughs> first of all, um, my spleen would explode, and I don't know why I've chosen that internal organ. But I, someone asked me, uh, someone asked me uh, a couple of days ago, walking by, whose victory would help IndyCar the most at the five hundred? Which driver's victory would help? bring the sport to a higher level, bigger level, get it out to both coasts the way it once was. Hmm. And my answer then was Pato. Okay. And this obviously before qualifying. That would have been a really hilarious answer if it was after qualifying. (laughs) Um, But that's because you and I both know the kid is just giant personality. Yeah, he's dynamite. He's love it. crazy everything, crazy talent, so much fun. With Pato not in the race, 
I'm having to say that's Colton Herta. I mean, that yeah, it, he is so pick. smart, so witty. He's got a really sharp tongue. He'll carve you up, and you don't even know it half the time. He's just he's he's the thing we'd hoped Rossi might develop into. Okay, kind of let the hair down a little bit because the stupid talent's there. Oh yeah, that's crazy. But the what's the thing that will get folks to engage? Well, Rossi is absolute number one guy for introverts and that's not and I'm, that's not a critical thing i'm an extrovert my wife's an introvert somehow we make it work yeah people so the track. That's 50 how it works. 50 i don't know if yeah. it's truly 50 50 but yeah. if we're just talking a fun crazy kid who's got talent to win a 500 potentially on his debut yeah but then also have a jimmy kimmel jimmy fallon you name it rolling crying tears in their eyes on their show as a guest after winning the 500 Colton stands out as someone who could do that, uh, whether it's year one at 500 or, or many years down the road. But I'm, I'm just liking, Jim, some of these kind of off the radar, almost off-brand off qualifying performances coming in that we've now seen coming into the month where you say Connor Daly, P11. Yeah, he did great. Marcus Erickson, P13. James Davison, P15. The, the sec, that's, I mean, I don't know if you would have guessed among one-off drivers, if you thought James Davison was going to be the top half of the field, that's just an impressive, just an impressive performance. Because I, I think you might have guessed Connor. You probably would have guessed Fernando going into the year or going into the month, maybe. Um, I just don't think you would have seen that from from that from that car. So he's done just one hell of a job getting up there. I like the Davison one too because you always know where he is on pit lane because you smell both cologne and perfume. <laughs> you know he covers both bases. Gotta love that about that kid. Uh, nope. We had. Doesn't, doesn't uh, lack for confidence either, which I enjoy about him, honestly. He is probably, he and Charlie Kimball, it'd be hilarious if they were ever teammates because you'd have the two most hated drivers among all the other drivers. <laughs> but these are two guys who are just going to crowbar their way to the front. Yeah. And I realize that since we aren't the ones side by side with them doing 235 into a corner, maybe it's easy to have this opinion, but I got nothing but love for someone like a Davison or a Charlie uh, yeah. who... I'm going forward, and if you don't realize that, that's on you. That's, you're not wrong. I mean, they're not. They're, like I said, they're definitely not the most beloved guys in the paddock. But I got no. I got no issues. I like talking to these guys. They're honest, and they're like you said. They're they're willing to put it all out there. And Charlie, especially on ovals, you know he's you know what he's going to do. He's done it. He's done it for the last ten years. Um, I want to get back to your point though on Colton. I did. I just I just loved. I can't I can't ever get over the. I think somebody asked him, "Are you in awe sitting next to Fernando Alonso?" And the response was just, "No." I mean, maybe if we were in Europe and I was in his turf, but he's on our turf now. I just thought that was the most badass and thing I want to beat him. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. I thought if he didn't make a million fans right there, um, yeah, that would be that would be huge. What um, was funny was some yeah. of the reactions I saw from folks, again, on the social media saying, oh, well, someone needs to teach him respect. No. And I'm like, you realize these are athletes competing it's a structured sport where there's winners and losers, and the guy who's not on your team that's is the mentality the, you gotta have. You gotta that that's the, he's got that Alexander Rossi that like that killer instinct. Totally. He wants to he wants to murder you in the nicest way possible, and then drum play the drums and, and, and give the, you exactly. something to download. I will say though for the uh, the other I wanted to add again this is not an off the radar picks and this is kind of cheating, but Hinch would be a big win across the country. I mean, Good Lord. just in terms of big draw for IndyCar, I think he'd be in that list that short list of what would be the biggest thing for IndyCar. I think Colton's up there, obviously. Colton and Hinshire, I think, are high on that list, I would guess. Two quick things, and I know you have to get back to work, Jim. I'm looking at a couple of names in this field of 33, and it is a couple. It's not a handful, but there are a couple where I'm saying, all right, 
you're not really going to factor on Sunday. Sure. It'd be a grand surprise. By and large, though, I'm seeing 25-ish drivers. Not saying all 25 can win. No, but they can but I, they Top can 10 move. potential, yeah. They can move. And depth-wise, this is pretty darn awesome. I, don't, I hate to echo. I hate to sound like the you know, you're like pumping the series and echoing what the drivers say, but... You look at the one through thirty-three. You're like, there aren't that many holes here. There aren't that many weaknesses here. I really feel like this is one of the deepest fields we've seen in a while. It, it's impressing. And again, I mean, there have been years where there's been a right. couple stronger drivers in a few seats, but you just look at the how close things have been speed-wise, and the difficulties that have been had all week long with winds and setup. I mean, this has been a really one of the most difficult weeks I can recall. Up and down, talk to any driver. Hey, you're fastest. I know, but my car's yeah. killing me. Uh, <laughs> Just looking at the depth that we have here, that's really impressive. Let's close on this center. Coming back to one of the central points that we uh, spent a lot of time on, would it surprise you to know that a lot of folks have said McLaren should have gone to Ed Carpenter Racing? Would it surprise you to know that Ed Carpenter Racing, heck, their IndyCar wasn't the only paddock McLaren went to searching for possible solution providers, and things did not work out there as well? What does that leave you with, Jim, if you're thinking McLaren potential 2020 yeah, coming back? Do you think just, all right, Fernley's gone and rotate this person out, pull in, do it yourself again? Do you think subcontract? What, do you th- what would you think would be the smart play? The smart play to me is to push your chips in. Because first of all, you can't. You can't leave that, that this taste in your. If you're McLaren, this can't be the taste you leave in them in the mouths of Americans, pretty much, because this is the only this is the only American race you're doing. I mean, obviously Formula One comes over here, but that's that's it. So to me, you push your chips in, you join the series full time, and that's how you compete in the Indianapolis 500. Because I think the four to five races building in, I know they're not ovals. I get it. But you build team team continuity. I mean, it's exactly what you talked about. You know, by the by the time you're at the sixth race, you know who's in charge. I would hope, you know who's supposed to be doing what and fixing what. And 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 so to me is if you really are serious about trying to win the Indianapolis 500, not just enter the Indianapolis 500, come here full time, and do it right. And I think they have the resources to do it. I think they have the will to do it. I do. I think Zach Brown is not kidding around when he says he wants to come to IndyCar again. And this shouldn't be the thing that scares them off. This should be the thing that pushes them and says, you know, we didn't do it right this time. Here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how we're going to do it right next time. Here's the, here's the 17 race season. I don't know. What do you think? I had a friend who was on that crew. I haven't named him and I won't name him, but I had a friend who was on that team who told me from the first time I saw him, I have no idea why they have me here. And he wasn't being funny. He said, I shouldn't be here. I don't know enough about the particular thing, the expertise he was hired for, but they insisted uh, they wanted me here, so I'm here. But this is not a car thing. No. This is a construction thing. Name, name the challenge. All right, Jim, there is a new contest to build 33 houses. And everyone has the same lumber, the same everything. But you all need to come up with the blue, best blueprint on how all of it's going to be assembled, the speed at which things are done, the, the quality of the craftsmanship. And then you have to have someone manage that process. Mm-hmm. And it's a race to build the best house 
using the same exact tools. And you go, all right, so then it really is on us. There can be a situation where the person swinging the hammer, the drivers in this case, there might be some that are a little yeah. bit better than others. Right. But rarely is that the differentiator between making the show and miss, you know, being P1 and being out of the show. This is a people thing. And look, as someone who failed more than he wanted to in his career, and I'm serious. I, I've told folks, I don't, I'm not playing, this isn't humor. I was good at times at what I did in IndyCar. It was never great. Uh, had a career I enjoyed, worked for a lot of smaller teams where I could do my thing. I wouldn't have survived at a big team for very long because I didn't have the dedication to do that. Those people exist. Just because you work for a team with a big yeah. name doesn't mean that everyone's an all-star. They, they had a lot of all-stars, but again, this all comes back to people, man. And uh, part of me says, do you really want to go through the effort of having to hire and mold and shape and take years to make that team a success? Or do you go to championship winning program A, B, or C and say, what's it going to cost? It's, you're not, yeah, you're not wrong. That would be one way. I just, I, I, I guess for, as for the on the IndyCar perspective, as a on the outside, I'd rather I'd rather see them do it themselves. I agree. No, I don't disagree. But I'm just thinking you're from right. a if you're right. you Best. want to succeed. Yeah, right. If if there's a team out there that is willing to sell and willing to or subcontract or whatever whatever the case may be, um, I don't know. Maybe you do it. Maybe you you could do if it's something more reasonable, like what Meyer Shank does. You just start slowly and and build in. I mean, I don't know if McLaren has that kind of patience. But what, clearly what they're doing is effective and working and, and admirable in every way. I think what they have set themselves up for as we attempt to close for the fifth time <laughs> and I push your deadlines back even further, I think what we have, Jim, is a situation where they have set themselves up in a, in a position where having just failed on the biggest stage possible, yep. coming back and then putting themselves in a position where they have to then spend years learning how to win, I think those things would clash a little bit. Yeah. If McLaren's board of directors, which has money to say, make this happen, is going to green light it, my suspicion would be, okay, but race one at St. Pete, or if it's just simply coming back to the 500, if we aren't in the fast six in qualifying on that street course, if we aren't in the fast nine here, everybody's getting fired yeah we're not we're not warming up to this yeah we had just had a chance and burned it so we either show up on top and to do that you either cherry pick the best people in the paddock a lot of those people probably wouldn't want to do that having seen hey you want to you want me to go to work for you we just beat you just depends how big the check is right well maybe it'll be interesting to see again a lot of ifs here but i think most of us would like to see them back i yeah I, I, I we just spent, I feel like we bashed them in a lot of ways, and I don't I, I don't want them I want them back. I want them to try come back and try again. I think they can do it better, <laughs> and I think Indy, IndyCar and Indy 500 are better for having McLaren and Fernando Alonso here, whether those together are separate. But yeah, I want to see them come back and try this thing again and do it right. That was a voice of the Indy Stars IndyCar IndyCar star. You're so good. Look at that. So much better than me, Jim Aiello. Thanks, my man. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.